Cambridge Muslim College, training the next generation of Muslim thinkers. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Well, the journey is coming to an end and uh, it's time to look back and check out the scenery and to see how far we've climbed in the mountain of, of Ramadan. There is a sense of going up. It's a, an upward path. Uh, so where are we and what's the view? Are we nearer to heaven or have we just lost a bit of weight? The uh, experience of Ramadan, as we said in the first of these lectures, is of entering a different zone, of going into a space that doesn't feel like one's normal comfort zone. If you've ever been scuba diving, you may recall that strange feeling that you're in this new space, but the rules of how to comport yourself are different, and you know that even though this is an amazing space, it's not really your habitat. You can't just reach out and eat something or just relax. You have to be on your guard. And in Ramadan, with these new rules that surround us, it's a little bit like that. Uh, it's a little bit also like the experience of the poor, in a sense, uh, because Ramadan is a state of, it's an ascetical state, a state of destitution, it's tejreed, it's faqr, that as we walk down the high street, we see that we're excluded from all kinds of places. We can't go into Starbucks for that frappuccino on a hot day. Uh, you can't just stop and have a pizza. You're kind of excluded from dunya in a very uh, absolute way. So you peer in and watch everybody treating themselves, rather like the homeless and the poor who can't afford it, and you're kind of with them, as it were. There's a sense of solidarity with those who are a bit excluded. And this idea of fakr is really important in Islam, because some of the earliest verses of the Holy Qur'an are about social inequality and injustice and bad distribution of, of, of God's gifts. It's something about which we are to feel passionately. And in Ramadan, even whatever the state of our bank balances might be, and alhamdulillah here in the West we have so much ni'mah, uh, we do occupy to some extent the state of those who are hungry, destitute, refugees, for whom dunya is not really a comfort zone but full of challenges. And I think that's a kind of solidarity that is very prophetic. The Holy Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam, didn't just preach about the poor, but he was of the poor. Uh, and no dirham or dinar would spend the night in his house, uh, which is a fairly challenging idea when you think, oh, I'm not sure if I've got enough to cover my expenses for the next financial year. And every night was the end of his financial year. If there was a coin in the house, he'd go out and find somebody to give it to. That was his tawakkul. So we're, we're thrown into that kind of ascetical and, and, and prophetic space. And this is an age of gigantic inequalities. So it's appropriate that Ramadan ends with another piece of charity, yet another. There's so much sadaqah in Islam, the hajj, the at'im al al faqir, kind of culminates with feed the, 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 the poor and, and, and the desperate, and that's what the nahar is about. You give the meat to, to the poor, most of it. Uh, and Ramadan also ends with this little zakat, the zakat al-fitr, which we think, well, what's the significance of that? We've done so much this month. And we're supposed to give, what, five pounds or ten pounds or something. What is that? But actually, the intention is there. And also, it does make a difference. If you give five pounds to an Islamic charity, at some point, somebody is going to have more to eat. Okay, they cream off so much, and admin and so forth. You have to be careful which charity you pick. Uh, but uh, it does make a difference. Somewhere in the world, 
there is somebody who has a meal uh, and the meal ultimately will make them think about the solidarity of the Ummah and it's like a gift, all of these sadaqat and this zakat that comes from this Ummah with such generous effulgence is kind of the gifts of the Holy Prophet some refugee in some camp somewhere he's fled Burma or Syria or wherever it might be there's food in his plate his child is fed and it comes from the Holy Prophet because without him and these beautiful institutions none of this would exist it would just be the Red Cross and accountancy and the kind of sterile international secular aid thing but this is a gift from the Holy Prophet comes from his hand and we are part of that process so uh, the zakat al-fitr is important it's, it's, it's a kind of purification خُذْ مِنْ أَمْوَالِهِمْ صَدَقَةً تُطَهِرُهُمْ وَتُزَكِّيهِمْ he is told, sallallahu alayhi wa take from their wealth a sadaqah which will purify and cleanse them. Now, Ramadan is all about purification, not just about getting rid of some of that excess flab. That's a kind of symbol of what it's really doing to our souls. We are healthier inwardly as well as outwardly, more attentive, more in the zone. But uh, as a result of that, there's also the purification of our assets, which is really important. And many of us give our, our general zakat during the month of Ramadan. And there's that amazing sense that, ah, as it were, I've got rid of the, the excess, the fermentation, the, the bubbles on the top, and the rest is, inshallah, pure for me, and there'll be more blessings for me in that. So that's an important lesson, and this is a world of extreme inequality. And just a little bit given by those Islamic charities in those needy places does make a big difference. I've been to Mali, one of the poorest countries on earth, and you do see there sort of children with legs like matchsticks and you know, one gift from an Islamic charity of a plate of, of, of barley or something is a, is a miracle for them. And they know that it comes with a bismillah and comes ultimately from, from us. You know, so don't underestimate any act that's given with, with intention. So we have this detachment, this solidarity with the poor and the hungry, because hunger is the most kind of obvious and extreme consequence of, 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 of poverty. If people are hungry, then, then they, they really are poor. But it's also to do with the, the purity of intention and also humility, because Ramadan kind of breaks us in a certain way. It's difficult really to, to be arrogant and swanky and throw your weight around in the fasting month. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not like kibr, pride. They say it's the worst of the seven deadly sins. Why? Because it can't coexist with the fear of God. If you're proud, then you're competing with the one who alone is al-mutakabir, uh, which is an outrage as well as being you know, illogical. So the pride is broken in, in Ramadan and our usual kind of vaunting of our own capacities a little bit limited. We're aware of our vulnerability, our dependence on the the, the, the rizq. And this humility is the key at the end of Ramadan to what, in a sense, Ramadan is really about, which is the relationship with God and with the prayer. There's a lot of praying as well in Ramadan. People say Ramadan is the month of fasting. Yeah, the month of fasting, it's also the month of the Qur'an. It's also the month of, of zakat and, and sadaqah, and the Islamic charities experience it as the kind of bumper time of the year. But it's also the time of prayer, of du'a, of dhikr, of taraweeh, of kind of upping our game in terms of really getting into a, a correct state of ibadah. And that kind of goes together with it because 
Khushu uh, in prayer, humility is, is essential. You have to have a sense of the haber, the majesty of the one you're standing in front of. Uh, and that's difficult if you're kind of standing there in a kind of well-fed, greasy, complacent sense of your own self-satisfaction. You can't really pray properly in that state. You have to be a bit broken. And I'm with the broken-hearted. So this ma'iyah, this withness, comes about when we are a little bit crushed. So it's a good time for prayers. Uh, it's a good time. Often Muslims find that the prayers are on time and at the beginning of the time more easily in Ramadan than at other times. But the attentiveness is really essential. And we know from, from the hadith, لَيْسَ لِلْمَرْءِ مِنْ صَلَاتِهِ إِلَّا مَا عَقِلَ مِنْهَا Man has nothing of his prayer except what he's paying attention to. So in Ramadan, because of our humility and our sense of neediness and dependence on our Creator, we are more in the prayer. And we throw away these five daily gifts so frequently. Oh, it's time for the prayer. I can fit it in after I've watched this show or after I've met my boss, etc. The prayer can kind of get fitted in with the other things that in practice we consider to be more urgent in our lives, which is unfortunate if you think about it. But in Ramadan we have the opportunity really to make those prayers alive. So khudur, attentiveness, is essential. And the, the absence of pride is vital for that. Uh, it's impossible to speak to God sincerely if you have pride in your heart. There's a, uh, we began with the idea that Ramadan is like going up a mountain, and it is sunnah to go up mountains. There's lots of hadiths from the Holy Prophet, Ali went hiking with his sahaba, and some of the, the wonders and miracles were seen up in the mountains. It, it is a sunnah. And one reason for that, I think, is that if you're in an environment in the natural world where dunya is a little bit less fruitful and capacious and maybe the wind is blowing and there's a bit of snow and you feel a bit more vulnerable. There is a sense of, of dependence on, on the Creator in those environments. Uh, and uh, I was uh, hiking in, in the mountains in Bosnia a few months ago. Some friends took me up there, the Dinaric Alps, and it really is high. Uh, and uh, we went to a village called Umuljani. I hadn't been to before, which is famous for having Bosnia's oldest mosque. And it's a beautiful, very simple structure, a simple stone minaret. And the place is kind of cold and blasted. And there's a cafe which only serves bread and cream. <laughs> uh, that's the tradition. So way up out of the, the tourist track. And near this village, there is a rock formation that looks just like a dragon. Uh, and of course, there's a legend attaching to this. And the villagers will say, oh yeah, that, that, you know, we used to have a hodja, imam of the mosque, this little old mosque, and uh, a long time ago, uh, the villagers said that they, their sheep were being eaten by a dragon. And they didn't know what to do with this dragon. And so they went to the imam of the mosque, the hodja, saying, a hodja, what can we do? And he said, well, I guess I'm going to have to be the one to go off and confront the dragon, but I haven't got a magic bow and arrow, this isn't the Hobbit. He just goes off into the, the mountains uh, with du'a. He says, I'll confront the dragon just with du'a, with prayers. And you pray for me, he says to the villagers. So he goes off into the mountains and he meets this dragon. And when the dragon sees him, the dragon turns to stone, of course. And the Hodja goes back to the village and they say, oh, you must be such a great imam. 
your du'a can turn these scary creatures to stone. And he says, no, it was because of your du'a. So the question is, and you're sitting in the coffee house and eating your bread and cream and they're telling the story. The question is, who was right? Was it the Hodra's du'a or was it the villager's du'a? And the answer is, it was neither. The reason why Allah gave him this miracle was that he was so convinced that it couldn't possibly be his prayers that had any effect, but must be those of the simple villagers. Because of that humility, Allah brought about this miracle, this wonder. I kind of like that story because it's a reminder that nothing really happens for us in religion. It doesn't become real until we overcome this, this dragon within, this serpent, this black snake, the, the ego. Uh, I was in uh, Anatolia a while back and some American Muslims were mystified that by this mihrab, this very old Seljuk mosque, there's two very stylized squiggly things that look a bit like snakes. They thought, oh, why have they got black snakes next to the mihrab? The reason for those snakes, and it's, you get it in some mosques there, is to remind the imam of the poison that is in the ego. So when he's standing there, he might be leading the Eid prayer or the Jummah prayer, and there's 10,000 people behind him, and there's this big shot imam with his big turban. He sees the snakes and says, oh, is this sincere or is it not? And it helps him to be a little bit broken and to recognize that the reality of the prayer is what Allah experiences from, from that person's heart, not what everybody thinks the imam is up to. So Ramadan is something that gives us the most important thing, which is to break the ego, to snap the nafs as much as possible and to help us to see things more religiously and more authentically, to, to tread gently upon the earth. Yamshuna alam ardi hawna. And this is you know, the greatest gift because it's a prophetic tradition. So Ramadan coming to an end, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it not just a time of fasting, but a time of sadaqah, a time of zakat, a time of prayer, a time of Qur'an, a time of the completeness of Islam, and a time also of mercy, because it's only through our own humility that we can really look at others with, with mercy and empathy. Uh, and this is a world in which so much of that is lacking. Today, President Trump is meeting with the head of North Korea. Two giant planetary-sized egos colliding, and a lot of ordinary people's survival depends on the clash of those titans. It's not, not consoling. But religion gives us this gift, and these technologies, spiritual technologies, such as this blessed month, which has just passed. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our fasting, and accept our Qur'an, and accept our prayers, and our tarawih, and accept our good akhlaq, and overlook all of the opportunities which we have let go to waste in this month and inshallah bring us and you and your families and all the Muslims safely and prosperously and piously to the next Ramadan inshallah. Barakallahu feekum, may Allah bless you. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuh. Cambridge Muslim College, training the next generation of Muslim thinkers.